0: Leviticus chapter 26 this title here this evening is what we will see it's very clear to us as we read chapter 26 we're going to see God says you do it my way and follow me and in obedience uh, there's blessings if you do not obey and do and uh, and go against uh, me, there comes uh, cursing. Curses will come upon. Now we'll start off by reminding you the theme of Leviticus. It's really in the heart of chapter 11, verse 44. This says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall be holy. For I am what? Holy. There's an expectation that we, as children of God, are to live holy lives because the one we serve, the one we praise and honor and glorify and claim, our lives is holy. And our Heavenly Father expects His children to be holy. No father, any good father, would be someone who is walking with the Lord and then turn around and say to their children, you can live however you want to. It's your choice. And, and I don't care. And whatever It's not my problem. You're going to be in 18 years and you're out of here. It's not my problem. Not a good father. <laughs> not a way it's supposed to be. Of every good father wants the best. As a matter of fact, we want... Better for the children than what we had, do we not? Don't we want to provide them more? Don't we want them not to make the same mistakes because they can learn from our mistakes? Of course, as a good father, we want the kids to grow up just loving the Lord and being, you know, walking with the Lord. There's no greater joy. The second thing I want you to remind you of is that we today are under the new covenant. We see in the New Testament we're under the new covenant, and we're not. We have a better covenant. And we're in the Old Testament and we're studying in the Old Testament of the, the Old Covenant. So you have to keep that in mind because not everything in the Old Testament translates over smoothly and clearly to the New Covenant. It was for the time and for purpose of God bringing his people, Israel, through to be a a, a glowing light for the Gentile world and they failed in so many ways and there was consequences. A holy God is just and holy and uh, merciful and gracious as we know. And tonight we're going to see when he laid these out. The, it, wasn't a, it wasn't anything that, you know, debatable. The holy God, a just God, said this is how you're to live. And if you don't, that brings curses upon you. There's going to be consequences that come upon you. Now, as a new, under the New Testament, under the grace of God, he still corrects his children. We call it chastening. There is consequences when you do not live a holy life. You do not live according to the ways of God. There is correction that the Holy Father is going to do. And so as we go through here, I'm going to bridge those gaps and show you the connections and then I'll summarize a little bit at the end, Lord willing, uh, from a time perspective. But we will see here in chapters 26 and especially 27, you're going to see two or three words. If... I will. <laughs> if you do this, God says, I will do this. It's pretty simple. I like it. It's nice and simple. Simplicity, right? God made it very simple for us. And it's even as a good father, his, 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 his teaching and training up of his children should be very simple. It should be, not be complex. If you make your bed, I will do this. <laughs> If you don't make your bed, then there's going to be consequences. I mean, it's nice and simple. And, and that's how you keep order. <laughs> that's how you keep and train up children. And to get people to follow, be obedient to the word, of the, the voice of God. That's how he's training them up. So in Leviticus 26, we will see here, verses 1 through 13, the blessings. You shall not make idols for yourselves. Neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and uh, and reverence my sanctuary. I am God. The Lord. So the very first two verses, he makes it very clear to his people, the, the Israel, the, the Jewish people here, traveling. Again, they're in the desert still. They haven't moved into the Promised Land. Deuteronomy, great book, when we get to there, brings us all of what took place in the, on the Promised Land and crossing over. So some things I'll mention here about Deuteronomy coming fulfilling of what God's warnings here. And of course... Israelite people did not do well in what God is teaching them of being obedient to them. Because remember in chapter 25 and 24 we're talking through these things about not having idols and keeping the Sabbaths and keeping the festivals and all these things that God's expectations for them to do as his people to remind them throughout the year of who they are to praise and worship and glorify and follow. And if you don't do these things you're going to forget and you'll go back to your old ways, you'll you'll get deviated off into some idol or something of the world, it will take you off on some rabbit trail, and you wonder, how did I get over there? Because you were chasing money. You were chasing careers and your and titles and power and whatever, the flesh and lust, and that's how you got off track. <laughs> it's not difficult. It's really simple why you were, took off track. You know, it's like a dog with a boom, gone. And and then your master, your owner's calling you back. <laughs> and if you're obedient, you come back. If you're not, you're gone. And you're always in trouble. But we see here right in the very first two verses, we are not to bow down before things or situations. They're called idols. The word here for idols, it means nothings. Stop chasing nothings. Oh, I think this is something. No, it's a nothing. It's just a become an idol for you. Chasing to get that special car that you've dreamt of for 50 years to midlife crisis, that's just an idol you've been chasing. And then you get it, then what is it? You get sideswiped and it's gone. It's like, well, what happened to that idol? And if it's not an idol, it's a person, and it can be anybody. It could even be your spouse becomes an idol and stops you from following God. Especially if you've chosen a, a husband or a wife, your spouse, that doesn't know the Lord and doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. It could be a job. It could be anything. A, you know, You're chasing a childhood dream of nothing because it's something you've always dreamt of. Well, you make sure it's of God before you start chasing and put all your time and money and energy toward it. If not, then you're just wandering off and chasing off. And that's why he says, be very careful. You are not chasing nothings for yourselves. And he describes it. Don't have carved images. And people say, that's not, people don't do that today. Oh, yes, they do. They create all kinds of little things. They create their dream home. Yes, they carved out themselves a beautiful little home there on the view. And everything they put toward is toward that Thing. And if it doesn't go well, whoo, watch out. If it's not a carved image, then it could be a a pillar, something very monumental. I love me wall of plaques that show that I've accomplished lots of accomplishments. And I got my pillars up there so everyone can see the pillars of what I've accomplished. And they can become idols. And then when you think you've achieved your ultimate position and, and, and status, then God has a way as a, with a child of God to bring them back, us back down from that and not have the ability to have it. Or rear up for yourselves, and, or nor shall you set an engraved stone in your land. And, and I, I picture that when I read that as like, I, I'm going to live to be so wealthy that I could have my name on the side of a building. I want my name engraved in this to show that I gave money or I in my something in the plaque or you know the star at Hollywood you know I want it engraved I want I want to, everyone to know who I am But be very careful because if you don't he gives us a warning there of the blessings that will come if you don't do that and you keep the, my sabbaths my time what i've set aside and and have a reverence for my sanctuary my place of coming in and meeting with me and spending time with me god says when you do this i am the lord i'm the creator of the universe I created you in your womb of your mother. And I'm saying, you spend time with me and make me the, the, the one you worship and him, me alone. And you spend time with me, there's blessings. Many will use excuses to justify their behavior of why they do not devote completely and surrender their lives to God. People are very quick. My job won't let me really had that time to do that my spouse won't let me have time to do that you know there's demands all the time everywhere kids yeah. god says there's no excuses <laughs> he says you can't give anything out there don't be chasing things around and justify now you don't have time and money and energy whatever to do to serve god and go where he wants you to go no 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 that doesn't cut it with god he knows. He knows the heart. He knows in his, your thoughts, as we've learned in, on Sunday in, this, in the Hebrews. He knows your thoughts and your intents of your heart. <laughs> we can't fool him. And he makes it very clear here. Who do you bow your knee down to? Because remember, all of us are going to bow our knee one day and be accountable to the life he's given us. He, we are. Very clear in Revelation and other parts of the scriptures. Now, he says, if you walk, that's our first if, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them or do them, don't be just hearers of the word, be what? Doers of the word. Be, be, perform them, do them. Then I, then here's the then, then I will, what does God promise? I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land, what? Safely. Oh, how wouldn't that be beautiful to just live in a land that you feel safe in? God promises that. But notice there, if you just will walk with me, walk and do what I've asked you to do. Just walk. I didn't ask you to run a marathon. I didn't ask you to run a... In in, in some analogies we see of that in illustration. But he says, just walk in my statutes and keep my commandments. Do them. Don't just talk about it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about that. No, he says, do it. And then he says, I will give you what? Rain in its season, meaning In the appropriate season, when rain is supposed to come, you're going to get it. It's perfect. Now, you can have rain in all throughout the summer, and we call it flooding. Right? And it's out of season. It's not spring. It shouldn't be doing this. Or if we have a very dry spring, there's no rain. We should have spring. You know, rain going on. So you can have rain out of season. And it causes chaos and problems for people. God promises I will bring the rain in its season, its season, it's when it should be happening. And the land will then produce great fruit. It's going to produce, not only yield its produce, meaning it's going to be a volume. You're going to have a lot of tomatoes and a lot of peppers. It's going to just produce the corn. It's going to produce the wheat and the trees will even be fruitful. And I love verse 5 because any farmer will tell you, are we going to get through this season? Are we going to be able to cut the hay in time? Are we going to be able to get the corn in, in time? Are we going to get the silage in, in time? And the weather is going to cooperate. It's too wet. We can't cut it yet. We, he says, I promise if everything will line out so perfectly, it will work out just fine. It will be so fruitful. And it will be so good, it will go right as timing. You notice that. threshing will be right on time. It will go right up. And when vintage is happening, you're harvesting the grapes, you're not going to be behind. You're not going to be ahead. It's going to be perfect timing. And God's timing is going to be good and right. You, you just do his, his will. If you're in his will and just follow him daily. Don't think about yesterday. Don't think about tomorrow. Be in his will today. He will take your steps. In a way, it reminds you of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. It's a beautiful promise for us in the Proverbs that we must lean upon Don't trust in your own understanding. Don't trust in the idols that you could get deviated off from and these these things that can take you and distract you from what God just wants you to worship him and be obedient on a daily basis. Just do what he's called you to do daily. And and you'll be living in safety. You will have plenty of food. You'll you'll be full. You're not going to be starving. You're not going to be wondering where your next meal is. He's going to provide for you so beautifully. But the choice of Israel was will you do it versus will you not do it? Israel had a choice. Will you follow and keep my statutes, keep my commandments? Will you do these things? If you are, blessing comes upon you. Now, that's not something like you and I promising someone, God Almighty's promising his people. That that you can you can bet your life on when God says this is what I tell you if you do this you're gonna there's a blessings. So when we sit there and say I don't know if he really is gonna do that or not then you need to get to know God more <laughs> you need to go deeper you're shallow man you're and you're in your Christianity you don't know God well enough you've got to get in the Word more you got to get in the fellowship you got to get in prayer because you need to know who your God is and He gives you a promise through His and by His Word. It's gonna happen. Here's the challenge. You want you get the promise, but then you want to know the exact date, exact time, exact how. You want it all laid out in detail. That's not how God works. He, he deals with seasons, you know, his perfect timing. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. And he says in verse 6, I will give peace in the land. Not just your home, but in the land that you live in. And you shall lie down. You're so at rest in the land. You don't, you, he's going to give you ability to rest in the land where he has you living. And none will make you afraid. <laughs> Not only can you sit there and have peace, You can have you lie down and rest. He says, I will even protect you. You don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone where you have. I've got you covered. You're in the palm of my hand and nothing touches your life unless it's been father filtered first. And I will rid the land of evil beasts. I'm going to take care and get rid of the evil beasts that can threaten your life out there in the wilderness. I'm going to take the sword and will not go through your land. There's not going to be war. There's not going to be destruction. It's going to be good. Just follow my way. Then he says in verse 7, you will chase chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword. We would translate that, they'll fall by what? The word of God. The sword before you. And it says, five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. This is incredible because even when the enemies do come in, God says, I don't need all of Israel's men to rise up that meets the age requirements to go to war. I only need to have five for every 100 or a 100 t- for every 10,000 to fly. Why is that incredible? Because the numbers are against them. But with God, anything is possible, and he's demonstrated that in the scriptures. Remember Gideon? Remember Gideon? He had it coming against a, a was it somewhere around 135 Minionites, and what happens? He gets his... His, his, uh, his warriors were was limited down over through a process to 300. And God used that 300 to take out the 135,000. Everyone in, around the world is watching that in the known world and said, God is with Gideon. God is with the Israelites. God is fighting for them. And it was true all the way through their wilderness experience. And it will be true when they go into the promised land. And it's true for you and I. When things seem like you have to have an army the size of your enemy, the giant that is in your, your, your life, and God says, no, no, you just need me. You just need me. We'll take that giant down in your life. We'll remove the enemies." Just be in my will. Just follow. Do it my way. And watch how I work in it through your life. And everyone will look and say, God is with you. The light will be so bright in your life, everyone will know that is a godly person and God is with them. Because it will be a miraculous thing as people watch your life. And it's true. We see here in verse verse 9, For I will look on you favorably... And make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. So he says here, for I will look on you favorably. God is looking down at them and saying, I look at you favorably. I love you. I want to you just to be in fellowship with me and love me and worship me and just follow my ways. If you do that, you'll be fruitful. You'll multiply. I'm going to confirm my covenant over and over and over. My promises I gave to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and to you. I'm going to take you into the promised land. Matter of fact, it'll be so good. All the stuff that I've provided to you for the year before that, you're going to be able to eat all of that right up just right there as the new is coming in. It's going to be continuous flow of blessing. John would say this, this spiritual prosperity that God talks about for us today is in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2-4. through, 4, 2 through 4. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly because brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy as a pastor, he's saying. I have no greater joy as a pastor than to hear that my children walk in truth. Do you know there's no greater joy as a pastor to hear that my children, the people God has brought here, to grow and mature and to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And to make choices by faith and not leaning on their own understanding. Desiring to do what God's wanted. There's no greater joy than to watch someone in the congregation to grow and mature. There's no greater joy for me. Because once you get it, and you stop fighting in your own head thinking you know everything, and the pride just is melting away, and the giants are being slaved because God is just removing them out of your life because you didn't do anything. You're just following God, and God's like getting the giants and the, your past and all these things. He's getting those out because you're focused on Him in the future, not in the past. It's no greater joy to watch the growth and maturity of a man and a woman in Christ. Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you. What's the tabernacle? It represented his presence. His presence is going to be among you, around you, and in you. As we worship God tonight... God's presence was right here sitting, worshiping as well. Jesus worship, worshiping his Father. We're worshiping our, our Savior and our Father. We're just worshiping. He says, my tabernacle will be among you. My soul shall not ab- 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 abhor you. I will walk among you. God's desire is to walk among us like he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and be your God. And you shall be my people. Verse 13. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That you should not be their slaves. I freed you from bondage. That's who I am, he's saying. I'm your God, the one that brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage? Your old life? I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. Oh. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you would see this in in an understanding of what Jesus has done for you, and taking you under the bondage of the yoke of sin, and now you can stand uprightly with your head up, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be guilty of, nothing. You're living free because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you made a choice to follow him and allow and and ask him to be your, your savior, your master. He's our God. We get to worship him, serve him, follow him. Why? Not because we have to. It's because we want to. We get to. Because he loved us so much, he was willing to make a way for us. God says, I made a way for you. I got you out of Egypt. I preserved you through the Red Sea. I think enemies have been conquered through the wilderness and most. Difficult times of your life, I've conquered the enemies and I brought you through. I've given you water and miraculously, I've given you food. Man, of miraculously, I've brought quail for give, meet your need for meat and get met that need. I'm sitting here doing this for you. This is my, I'm your God. Just, just follow me and be obedient to my word. I have broken the bands of your yoke. And made you write up, walk upright. This final blessing speaks of freedom and dignity. This passage almost feels like this New Testament. You know, God proclaimed the liberty for his people. I have given you liberty. Just walk with me. Talk with me. Spend time with me. It's a beautiful thing. Now we get to the hard part, the curses on verse 14. We see the 14 through 39. It says, But if you do not obey me, so he makes it clear, he's not leaving you hanging there going, I wonder what would happen if we don't do this. <laughs> God makes it really clear for us. is that. Well, I didn't know. Man, if only if God would have told me what my consequences would have been, I wouldn't have thinking about doing that. No, you, you, your excuses are lame. <laughs> that doesn't cut it. It might cut it with someone, you, your friend, go, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I wish I would have told you. Yeah, that might cut it with some friends and maybe your husband or wife. That won't cut it with God. Because God always gives you both. He always clearly speaks to you not only what is going to be a blessing, but also what could become a curse or a consequence of not doing it. And he says, But if you do not obey me and do not observe all of these commandments, not just some commandments, but all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like doing what God's called me to I don't feel like doing what he's... I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. My flesh wants to be fulfilled. My pleasures want to be fulfilled. I don't, I'll take my chances. I'm sure none of you have ever said those things as you're entering into sin. But that's what he's talking about here. They abhor their soul, their feelings, their mind. They, they, they didn't care. He says if you do, if that's where you're at and you think you could just live however you want to, it's not like you didn't know there's, there's curses that come upon you for doing that. We understand in the new covenant, there is mercy as a child of God. There is grace in the child of God. But that doesn't mean if you look at it from for today, he says, if you have that attitude, I'll do whatever I want to. I'm going to sin. I have, the, I have the ticket to heaven. I don't care. I'll live in sin. I have a, I have some, somehow I've, I've been convinced in my head that I can just freely live in sin and still call myself a Christian and think I'm going to be all okay. That's just, you've been deceived. You've been bewitched, as the scripture talks about. And, but there's going to be chastening. If you're a child of God, there's going to be chastening. There's going to be a whipping. And you're going to sit there, why is this happening to me? Well, there's one of two reasons. A, he's chasing you to correct you because you're gone against his, against his, his, his will and disobedience, unbelief. Or he is allowing this to happen to instruct you, to correct you, or to, to raise you up, or to uh, to help you mature in your faith. It's one of the two. You need to seek the Lord. Lord, why is this happening? Is it you're just helping me to mature by faith through this, or are you correcting me? You have to. It's, it, the Spirit of God's going to show you. But here God said, if you don't obey and you don't keep the statute, you don't keep my judgments and you're emotionally all unstable and says I'm not doing any of these things so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my commandments, verse 16, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. You will notice there's seven things that we're going to see. Uh, the first five are all within, the tri- all within the family. It was all within Israel. But the last one, it takes it outside of that and all of the nation, all the people outside of Israel, uh, of, the, of, the, of the tribe of Israel, they're going to see God correcting the people. They're going to go into bondage. So just watch this as we go through. I'll even appoint terror over you, Waste, uh, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow for the heart. Do you want disease to come into your life? Is anything? Disease is going to come into your life. It's one way I'm going to get a hold of you. You're going to get a little sick at points. And oh, by the way, you're going to get a fever that you've never had before. Okay, got your attention yet? That's one way God said He was going to do it. And you shall sow your seed in vain. You're going to go out there and work and plant that seed like you're living your life like you've always had because you got to get it in there. But your enemies, these enemies, will shall eat it. All of that work you've done, you're not going to benefit from it whatsoever. Your enemies actually, you're going to benefit from that work you've done. And I will set my face against you. And you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. You know what that means? You'll get to a point where you're going to be paranoid that people are chasing you. Paranoid someone's going to come after you. Paranoid you're going to lose things. You will get paranoia starts setting in when you're out of the will of God. He says, when you're thinking, this is what's going to start happening to you. You're going to get paranoid verse 18 and after all this if you do not obey me now i love this i'm going to allow these disease and fever and paranoia is going to start setting in because you're so unstable emotionally because things are unraveling and the enemies are getting benefit you've worked hard you put you putting 25 years into a company and now you're being ousted and someone else is coming in and taking all the work you've done and starting that company blah blah blah, blah, blah. you can see this all play out for them they planted the seeds, and they don't get the benefit. Now, he says in verse 18, After all of this, if you do not obey me. He would think, after all of this, God's showing you. I'm bringing judgment here. Do I have your attention yet? Well, God obviously knows the people and says, No, nope, they don't know me yet. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Not just once. Not just one for one. But seven times More than your sins. That's the first time we see this. A few more times here. Verse 19. I will break the pride of your power. What causes most conflict in any relationship? Pride. Why won't they follow God's ways, His commandments and statutes and Sabbaths and the things that God lined out? Pride. Why did Adam and Eve get themselves into the situation that they find themselves Pride. Why did Lucifer get into a position where he finally gets kicked out of heaven and becomes what we know as it refers to him as Satan? Pride. Do you see how dangerous pride is in people's lives? It cannot, you can't allow that to happen in your life. Because he says, I will break the power of your pride because the power over your life is your pride and that is why you're not doing it and that's why the consequences are coming. And I will make your heavens like an iron and your earth like bronze. The earth will be so dry and hard you can't get your seeds in it. You can't even work the land. It's so dry and hard. Verse 20, and your strength shall be spent in vain. You're going to be sweating and trying to work your way through this. I'm going to just work, work harder and make my way through this. I can figure out a way. And he says, oh, it's, just going to, it's just going to be vain. All that time and energy you think you can get you can do it your way ain't going to happen. Apart from me you can do what? Zippo, nothing. And your land shall not yield its produce. It shall not it, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me, what does that mean? The word of God says to go straight. Nah, I'm going to go left. I'm going to turn around and go back my old ways. <laughs> you're going contrary to what God God says. You, you're pulling against him. You're, you're, you're competing against him. You're going against everything he's saying. These things are not good, God says. It's going to drain you. It's not going to be fruitful. Your life's going to dry up. It's not going to be anything that's worth living for kind of a feeling. But if you go contrary and will not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. (laughs) Oh, more plagues! That's really bad, you know, because it really hits at home when you're plagued. The plagues are coming. Verse 22, I will also send wild beasts among you. If you remember, in the blessings, he said he'll keep you from the plagues. He'll keep you healthy. He will make sure there's no wild beast. He's going to remove the wild beasts. Everything he said it is a promise. If you just follow his will and do what he says to do, all of those promises are there. But if you don't do it, look at what happens Plagues start coming seven times more than the, the, according to your sins. There's going to be wild beasts among you which shall uh, rob you of your children. That means these wild beasts are eating your children. Because of your disobedience. Destroying your livestock. There goes your livelihood. And making you fewer in number. Your little tribe, your family is getting less and less and less. And your highways shall be desolate. There's no, com- there's no commerce taking place. There's no one going on uh, you know, uh, you know, weekend trips to the, to the ocean, to the Mediterranean. None of it is happening. Why? Because you cannot afford, let alone dare move, because you're plagued and everything else going on in your life. Verse 23, and if by these things you are not reformed by me, <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm gonna do a little bit more. It's getting more intense. Have you noticed a little more intensity is coming every time you a little bit of a little bit of God's giving some tension here, and you're not listening and obeying still. Okay, let me and turn up the heat. I'm gonna turn up the heat and add a little bit more things. Now you're getting you're losing people's lives. Your children are gone, your lives are gone and you're still so prideful of the power of pride that you're not willing to change? And not be willing to be reformed? That's what it means. Reformed is to be changed. To become a Christian, you are to be regenerated, reformed. God's Word says, if by the reading of the Word of God, He will transform your mind. I will reform your life. But if you're not willing if these things, you, all these plagues and wild beasts and all these things are coming to you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also will walk contrary to you and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you. Now we've got some really serious things coming in because now it's some slicing and dicing going on here that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. So war is going to happen. The sword is going to happen and God is going to allow the enemy to get in. And even though you might run to the cities and go everywhere else thinking you could escape, there's no escape. The enemy's coming. And verse 26, And when I have cut off your supply of bread, now we have poverty setting in. There's not even enough food. There's, he's cutting off the supply, the food supply here. Look what happens. Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight. That means it's rationing out food at this point in time. Rationing going on. And you shall eat And not be satisfied. Why? Because there's not enough food now to even supply to meet your need. Remember under the blessing you were going to have bread and you would be what? Full. Now it's rationing and you're not even satisfied with what you do get. Because there's curse upon you. Because you're not willing to change. Verse 27, and after all this, if you do not obey me, here it is, the fourth time. Now, after even all of this, you're starving, there's rationing going on. You would think you'd get a clue. I better change because I'm going to die if I don't. It's amazing how pride will carry you even through that stage because God says, after all this, if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastening you seven times uh, for your sins and you shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Now, it's such poverty and such destitute to just stay alive you're willing to eat your s- dead children it, it it is it brings you back to that horrific cannibalism that we saw or we you know mentioned and fulfilled through 2nd kings chapter 6 verses 26 through 29 the historian josephus Described the cannibalism in Jerusalem when under siege by the Romans. If you remember that in, uh, and uh, and the woman killed and ate their own baby's son to survive. Again, the result of uh, of disobedience and uh, consequences. But that is where they're at. It's not, It's they're so spiraling out of control. It's gotten to unimaginable scene here in verse twenty nine. Verse 30: I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense uh, uh, altars, cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. And you, you want to, you want your idols? You you want to worship them? And you're going to end up dying? I'll just make sure you're laying on that that carved image when you're dead, so the birds can eat you alive right? or, or strip you of uh, in your your bones when you're dead. And my soul shall abhor you and I will lay your uh, cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. Verse 32, And I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. Everyone's watching now. This is where now it's no longer staying within the tribe. It's now the nations are seeing the consequences and God's Judgment upon his own people here because of their disobedience now bring it today There's nothing worse Than you sitting there saying you're a Christian and you live contrary to God's Word and even Non-believers know enough about the Word of God and they are then God uses to look at you and say aren't you called a Christian? Didn't you say you were called to? Didn't you try to tell me about following Jesus? But look what your life is like. Look at how you live. You're, I know what the word God, the word of God says, because someone's been telling me all along. My grandmother's been telling me my whole life. I know you're not supposed to be doing that, and you, you're living like I'm, like I'm living. Why would I need to change if you're at the same party and smoking weed and doing all kinds of drunkenness going on? Why would I change? Talk about a correction where God brings people outside of the church outside of your outside of your brothers and sisters who should be correcting you if they know about it but then brings the outside gentiles to come and tell you you're not living according to the ways of God that's how God does it today <laughs> in other ways but he's going to show it to you and it's going to hurt So I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it and I will scatter you among the nations. Draw uh, draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. And then the land shall rest and enjoy its sabbath As long as it lies desolate it shall rest for the time for the time uh, it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it. And as for those who, uh, of you who are left, I will send faintness into your hearts and in the lands of your enemies and the sound of the sh- uh, shaken uh, leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword and they shall fall when no one pursues. Again, paranoia. Verse 37, they shall stumble over one another. Can you imagine all stumbling just to get out of there because it's just crazy and chaos? As it were before the sword when no one pursues you and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste Away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, also in their fathers' iniquities, and which, is, which are with them, and they shall waste away. So here in these verses here, 32 through 39, we see that uh, some consequences and serious things taking place here. Because God said, if you remember, and we know uh, in the scriptures, that when they would not obey to rest the Sabbath year of the land... That God said, you may be going up quite a few years not doing what I ask you to do regarding the Sabbath year. To rest the land for a year and do not touch it. Leave it alone. Let it rest. I'm going to get that back. You may think you're getting away from it. I'm going to get it back. And we know historically, we know in the scriptures, they were 70 years they did not keep the Sabbath year. And God collected that seven times 70, 490 years of captivity. God says, you're not going to do it willingly. I'll put you into captivity with your in enemies. You'll be slaves and it's going to be terrible. And I'll rest my land like I said it has to rest. <laughs> God is going to have his way. It doesn't matter. He's going to have his way. It's going to be the easy way. It's going to be the hard way. He's going to have his way. And so sure enough, he tells us right in the scripture, and we see it played out obviously later on in the scriptures where he had to rest. Now in verses 40 through 46, we're going to ooh, yes wrap up here. The blessings of repentance. But if we confess, another big but here, but if they confess, their iniquity and their iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts. Remember, we studied this on Sunday. It's the intent of the heart. God looks at the heart. Their sinful hearts, it's referred to as the uncircumcised hearts here, are humbled and they accept their guilt. Very important here in verse 40 and 41. Just saying sorry is not repentance. You must, he says, if those who are willing to come to me and confess, what they do is going against me, rebellion sin, is it, will they come and confess that this is wrong and goes contrary to the word of God? And they accept their guilt. I know, God, I should be punished for what I've done against you. That's what God wants. He doesn't want to say, oh, oh I'm sorry, God. Now, he says, I want you to confess that this is sin and goes against my word, and then understand that you know that you deserve punishment. But then God shows you mercy and possibly grace for that situation because you come with a broken heart, a heart that's humbled. It's like if you have a problem with a person and you say to, to that person, I'm sorry. Was there a repentance? Was there truly understand that it was you, you went against that person and that now you need to actually not just say you're sorry, but you have to change the way you're dealing with that, that person. You have to change whatever that situation to demonstrate that it's, you're not going to continue to do it that way. We're not perfect, but you're willing to try to make steps to go back away from what you were doing to that person. That's what God is saying here, that it's the heart, that they accept their guilt. They accept what they're doing was wrong. Verse 42, and then when I remember my covenant of Jacob and my covenant of Isaac and my covenant of Abraham, I will remember, I will remember the land. (laughs) Make sure you have that underlined in your Bible. He says, I will remember the land. I'm not going to forget this. And Like I said, he made it rest for 70 years. And the land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their souls abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, yet for all of that, this is where we get plugged in. But yet of all that, God's grace. That's what God is saying here. But grace, I'm going to show them. Look what happens when they are in the land of their enemies i will not cast them away even though god sent them off to be to be dealt with by their enemies during he didn't he didn't leave israel He didn't leave his people. He has a promise. He's not going to break his promise. He did not throw them out and cast them away. No, no, no. It says right here, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. No, he's not going to break a covenant. He will never leave you or forsake you. For I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, and I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and you were born again, God is not going to cast you out when you're not perfect. He is going to show you mercy, not give you what you deserve, and may just lay out a very beautiful grace which gives you things you know you don't deserve. Because He loves you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Yes, you screwed up, but you better confess that you know it and you better repent of it and change it and, and take full responsibility of the guilt of, of knowing that that was wrong. And then cry out for God's mercy and grace to help you to change. Now, if we... We find, I'm going to give you a little bit here, I know we're over time, but let me give you something to summarize here for us in the New Covenant, the New Covenant perspective here. Are we under the same covenant of blessing and cursing? That's the question. Many people will read this and automatically go, I'm cursed, I'm going to be cursed. Oh, my life, you get all emotional and... And tied up in knots, and I have to untie you over a period of time to help you understand God's grace. But to some, Galatians 6, 7 kind of dis- demonstrates this for us in the testament. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And we use that a lot. But we have to understand the context of that scripture. Paul is not promoting some law of spiritual karma that many people refer to it. It's not a spiritual karma that ensures we will get good when we do good. Well, you got good. Oh, because you must be doing good things. Oh, that's bad. You, You must be doing bad things. That's not what the scripture here is saying here in context if you read through all of it, Galatians 6 through 10. Because when you look at this, it's not so much about you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. Because that absolute law type of thinking, we would be damned the rest of our life if that was true. Because think of how much bad or sin you do. Can you imagine? You would be in a terrible, terrible place if that's what you followed through with. Instead, he's saying here, he speaks simply about the management of our resources. Go back and read Galatians 6. Verses 6-10. through ten. Keep it in context of that scripture. He's not talking about you do good, you get good. You go bad, you go bad. No, he's saying what he has provided to you as resources to live your life as a Christian, what do you do with that time and money and resources and the car and the house and the things he gives you? He's saying to you, Paul's simply saying this, we may fool ourselves by expecting more than what we sow. It's like someone's mentality today. I'm going to work, and I'm going to work for an hour, but they better be paying me eight hours today. But you only sewed one hour. I paid for a Yugo. Most of you don't even know what Yugo is. You guys are too too young. Um, I don't want to put anyone's car down. If you get a car X from North Korea, but you expect a Mercedes, The resources that God gives you, what you put in, there, there's, there's blessings. There's, there's, you reap what you sow in those resources that you give out. But we cannot fool God of pouring in and sowing, just pouring in nothing and expecting something back because you think God... It owes it to you. That's just not how it works. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14 makes it clear. Jesus received this curse upon himself as he hung on the cross. The curse that we don't have to face is because we follow a Savior who took the curse for you. What curse are we referring to? It will play out in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. The promise of a curse to all who are not only executed, but have their bodies publicly exposed to shame. Jesus said, I will have my body publicly out there ashamed and bring on the curse of the sin, your sin, so you do not have to. That's the love of God. So in the Jewish mindset, as they're thinking through this, as they're reading this, this kind of exposure was the worst thing that could ever happen, even more to death, is to be exposed of your shame and be publicly uh, brought out into light. Humiliation in that culture was terrible because in the Old Testament, that means if you're cursed, that means you did something against God and everyone knows it. But Jesus broke the curse for us. Jesus broke the curse that we, as even Gentiles, might bear the blessings of the Abraham uh, blessing, and that blessing what? The blessing of righteousness by a life by faith. By faith, that we live for God, We get there's a righteousness that is imparted to us. We get to partake in that promise that was given. But these blessings only come to those who are in Christ, those who have surrendered their life to Christ. That promise is for you and I. So we are not blessed because we're obedient. But because we are in Christ Jesus, that is why we're blessed. Because we're that's our Savior, that's our our Messiah. There is no more curse for us from God because all the curse was born by Jesus on the cross. Now, we talked about it in the beginning and I'll highlight it again. That doesn't mean we don't get chastened by God, by the hand of God, to lovingly correct us like a parent to a child. That still happens to you and I today we will get to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, and talk about that a little bit more on Sunday. Not this Sunday, but in due time. Maybe a year from now, but we'll get to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Nor, one more point, nor does this deny the cause and effect that the nature of sin in our world. Because when you sin, it often carries with it an effect, there's a consequence. You go sleeping around and you get a venereal disease. That is by nature of the sin. You're not doing what you're supposed to and you end up getting a venereal disease. That is not God's problem. That's not God bringing judgment or chastening you. It is bringing upon what you went out and did and it's a natural result of the effect or the cause that went out there to do. You shouldn't have done it. But these blessings and curses that we learned tonight, they may affect a cardinal man in the way they think because they don't want to be cursed, they just want to be blessed. I mean, it can really affect the motivation of a cardinal man who lives by the flesh. But it is not the ground God wants you and I to live on. Believing Jesus didn't bear all the curses we deserve will cause you to have a shaky Christian life because you're always thinking God is going to curse you or judge you. You have to remember that Jesus bared all of your sin. He took all of the curses upon himself. But the opposite of that coin or flip that over is believing we can be blessed in any other way than Jesus Christ Christ. Sometimes people as a Christian live like I can be blessed and should be blessed even if I go contrary to Christ. Like I can sit there and be blessed in any other way. I can go follow Buddha and I'd be blessed. If I follow this karma, I'll be blessed. If I go worship the trees and the creation, I'll be blessed. That is not scriptural. That's not, uh, that's not correct. We're blessed because of our relationship with a Savior Jesus Christ that's it